0: Is The Talking Dead a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show The Walking Dead? Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Chris, and my name is Jason, and this is The Talking Dead podcast number 333, recorded on Monday, August 21st, 2017. Nobody talk about Game of Thrones. Shut up. I've seen it from yesterday. (laughs) Jason hasn't. (laughs) So he's very sensitive to spoilers. So nobody talk about Game of Thrones. I don't even want to know if it's a show right now. (laughs) Well, as soon as we're done here, I think you're probably going to put it on and I recommend you do.
1: Well, I don't know if that's going to happen. My wife is not feeling very well. She is asleep in bed uh, at the moment, and I'm not sure she's going to get up. But if
0: I go upstairs and say, hey, Game of Thrones, she might. She might. Oh, that's, yeah, I, well, you should try that. I will. And uh, I hope that goes well for you. Anyways, uh, we are here back on the podcast, Internet Airwaves, and it is good to be back. We took a little bit of time off in case you didn't notice. Uh, since the last time we recorded, Jason, you and I have both had actual vacations from our, our day jobs, Yeah, which is nice. Some, some time off. The last time we recorded, that was about 150 years ago, right? Yeah. Something like that. It was, uh, it seems like a long time. 1733, I think. Yeah. (laughs) Ancient times, ancient times. Well, we've, we've both had some time off. I was in Europe for a little while. That was nice visiting the in-laws over there. You mm-hmm. just hung around your your house, which is. I was in the garage for a while. That was nice. That's I was cool. visiting various tools. That was, <laughs> it was really nice. Coincidentally, so was I. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, well, uh, the other thing that's happened too is, I mean, we've been you know pretty busy. Your son has started out-of-home daycare, which is exciting. Maybe very maybe, exciting. Maybe more difficult for you even than for him. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, very hard. But going okay.
1: Going great, actually. He uh, he's doing. He really likes the people there. He he seems to enjoy himself. Uh, yeah, I went there this morning, handed him off to uh, to Amber, mm-hmm. uh, which he who he really likes, and uh, he didn't give a
0: shit that I was leaving at all.
1: Well, like, okay,
0: see you later. I'm gonna have some Cheerios and uh, go play with that thing. Happy fun time. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, that's good, man. I'm glad to hear he's doing well. It's his birthday tomorrow, too. Tomorrow, a year old little bugger. I cannot believe it. It, it like time flies, man. I can't believe he's a year old already, Bill. So, so happy birthday, Jasper. This podcast is for him. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Happy birthday. And the other thing, this podcast is for is the eclipse. Did you watch the eclipse today?
1: Yeah, I watched it on no TV. No, no, you know, pinhole camera or looking through the leaves of the tree because. You know, I don't know if you know this, but if you're, uh, if there's an eclipse and you can stand under a tree and all the leaves act like little pinhole cameras and you can see a whole bunch of little eclipses. So did you do that? I did not do that. I worked, I was working in my home office in the basement. I didn't notice, uh, I forgot about it and didn't know.
0: Really? You didn't even like stream it online or anything like that?
1: No, I completely forgot about it. I had a very busy day at work today and I was also very tired because Jasper was up for most of the night and therefore, well... He needed to be held most of the night, which mm. meant I was up. He slept probably just fine. Right. But uh, refused to be put in his crib. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very tired. So I've, I completely and totally forgot about it.
0: Oh, well, that's unfortunate. There'll be another one in 2024. and it's I'm coming. excited about that one because that one's coming to Hamilton. Yeah. It's the total totality right over like uh, Niagara and Buffalo and stuff like that. Yeah. That's going to be fun. Jasper's going to be about eight. So uh, I'm going to be, I'm excited about that one. Yeah. That's one we're going to do for sure. Go and do it. I did see the eclipse. I put on some glasses. I was downtown today, all day outside doing something. And at around 2.30 PM, just before that, when this, you know, Toronto was in the 70% eclipse range, it, it just felt like everybody in all the buildings just emptied out onto the streets. Oh yeah? And Everybody had glasses and they were passing them around and everyone was taking a look for a few minutes. And it was a really communal type experience. I was, it was really, really neat. Actually, I haven't experienced something like that really in a long time. And, uh, it was kind of fun just to like, like the city shut down. Everyone came outside. We looked at the eclipse for a couple of minutes. I walked around a bit and then everyone went went back to work. It was really neat.
1: Oh, that's good. I spend most of the afternoon commuting with project status spreadsheets. (laughs) <laughs> Sounds fascinating.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, I felt like my brain was eclipsed by uh, boredom. The total eclipse of your brain. Yeah. Well, it was neat. And uh, I'm glad I took a look at it because I wasn't going to, I did not have my own glasses, but once I looked, it was pretty fascinating. I got to say, it was very, very yeah. cool.
1: Well, I guess uh, if there's a, an eclipse, you just walk out onto the street and steal some glasses because that seems like a thing you can do.
0: It seemed, yeah, they were all over the place. I mean, eclipse viewing glasses manufacturers probably- are doing very well right now.
1: They probably do well all the time. There's cl- eclipses over the ocean quite frequently, isn't there?
0: I guess. There's eclipses all the time, but rarely over populated areas. Yeah. So that was fun. It, it,
1: it's fancy because the moon is like, what, 400 times smaller than the sun, but it's 400 times closer to the earth. So it like works out perfectly.
0: It's, it's crazy. It's it's really a an unbelievable celestial coincidence, actually, that the moon and the sun appear the same size in the sky. Based yeah. on relative distance and size from Earth. Like, that's amazing when you think about it. It is. It's, it's quite a coincidence. And it makes for really fantastic solar eclipses. So
1: I'm pretty sure the moon showed up here about uh, 7,000 years ago. Oh, really? Yeah, there was no moon before that. It just kind of showed up. And the Earth
0: is flat too, right?
1: No, no. The Earth is round. Okay. So is the moon. It's just the moon's not native to
0: our planet. <laughs> it just arrived one day and was like, I'm yeah. going to stop here because this is the place for me. It's a giant dragon egg. Wait, that's Game of Thrones again. Shut up. Good. So do you want to hear about dragons? (laughs) No, no, shut up. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) One more thing before we get started on the program today is that we have been having some website issues, talkingdeadpodcast.com, and people have been writing in to me about it, so people have been noticing, which I don't like. The problem is... uh, some time ago, a number of months ago now, I moved the site over to Amazon web hosting, which I thought was a great idea, Yeah, but turns out it's not working out so well and I'm having trouble keeping things running normally and smoothly. So every couple of days the website goes down and it is not accessible and then I've got to log in and fix it and it's becoming a pain in my ass and it's becoming a pain in other people's asses too, I think. So I think the solution might be to move it back to its original provider But I just wanted to say I'm sorry to everyone who's had trouble with the website, and that uh, hopefully, if you have, those problems will be resolved soon.
1: Yeah, good. (laughs) Yeah, Um, all right. So annoying.
0: (laughs) I know. You go there all the time, don't you? Yeah, every day. Check the feed. Well, no, that's
1: where I click my, my Amazon link. When I go to buy stuff on Amazon, I
0: go there. Uh, see, now you're thinking, well, it's annoying and I'm not happy with it. So we might just move it back to the old provider. Um, if anyone out there has any tips on making Amazon run a little bit better. I mean, I mean, I honestly, I think I know what the solution is, but I don't want to move ahead with the more expensive plan. <laughs>
1: so. Oh yeah. They get you pay more. Come over to us. It's free. It works great. Yeah. You know, just if only you were paying a little bit, you'd
0: get much better service. Yeah. Just a little bit, you know, just a little bit. So we'll, we will see if it does go down, feel free to let me know. I will try to keep on top of it. And, uh, hopefully you can download this podcast without any trouble okay we are here to not talk about all these other things we're here to talk about the walking dead and there's a bunch of walking dead news which is what we're going to start with but after that we're going to do something a little bit different and review a movie sure it's uh it's going to be a review of the girl with all the gifts and we'll get to that a little bit later um but first we have the walking dead news the walking dead news All right. There's plenty of news to talk about. Uh, A couple of rather large, interesting stories broke in the last few weeks. So, Jason, you recall Frank Darabont, right?
1: uh, Let me think.
0: Frank. Yes, I remember Frank Darabont. All right. Famous movie director, producer. He did the season one of The Walking Dead as showrunner. And then was fired and has basically since then been embroiled in this lawsuit with AMC over the practice of vertical integration, which in a nutshell is the same company owning the production and the broadcast rights to a TV show and therefore essentially selling it to themselves for whatever amount they want. And of course, they structure the deal to screw everybody but themselves so they don't have to pay out as much money.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, they have uh, in order to have the broadcast rights of the show, they have to pay uh, a very large amount of money to the parent company Mm -hmm. or to this other company, uh, which counts as an expense and therefore cuts away from the net profits. Uh, But still, AMC retains that money, even though on paper it seems to disappear.
0: Right. Exactly. That's called they're calling it vertical integration, whereas normally there's a studio that creates the show. And then a broadcaster pays a license fee to the a different company for the rights to broadcast the show.
1: Yeah, it's like income splitting on your taxes, right? If you have right. uh, you take you, you make a bunch of money and uh, you can give some of that money to your kids or your wife, and then it evens out, and you don't have to pay as much taxes, even though as a household you still have the same amount of money.
0: Right. Well, what ends up happening in, in TV is that somebody gets screwed. Somebody is not getting the money they should, at least according to that person, thinking they deserve more. Yeah. So Frank Darabont has been involved in this lawsuit with AMC for a long time. And now it turns out that some of the other producers, including current ones, are suing or have started uh, filed a lawsuit against AMC for basically the same thing the plaintiffs in the case include robert kirkman gail anne hurd glenn mazara the former showrunner and david alpert um who's a current producer they're all part of the suit and this seems an, a little bit strange to me i mean frank darabont was fired and then filed the lawsuit now yep. we have four people currently working and producing the show working on and producing the show suing their broadcaster for more money. Yeah. Why, why does it seem weird? Well, it seems weird because if you work for someone, it's pretty, it seems like it's a bad idea to sue your boss. You'd think, but not if you're Gail Ann Hurd. I guess maybe not if you're Gail Ann Hurd. Because Uh, what are they going to do? They're going to fire her? That just adds to her lawsuit. Well, do you think, well, yes, obviously, but do you think there's any way for the, this group of people to have a, a good relationship with AMC at the, end of all of this. And, uh, and isn't that what maybe. sort of matters most when it comes down to it? I'm not saying that they shouldn't exercise their legal rights if they are genuinely being um, screwed over by AMC. I'm not saying they shouldn't do that, but I wonder if the public nature of this kind of thing is going to hurt the show or just hurt the relationship between all these parties and ultimately like i said hurt the show and and is that an okay thing i don't know
1: i don't know if it'll necessarily hurt the show i might it may hurt their relationship but then again this kind of thing happens all the time remember when the cast of friends were renegotiating their contract it got really kind of touch and go there for a while but the show never really suffered because of it uh so this kind of thing you know it's just it's the nature of the business you people in this Uh, at that level, negotiate contracts all the time, Mm -hmm. right? So negotiate uh, contracts for whatever they make and they take a percentage of the profits. So in this case, most likely it was private. It was, hey, uh, you're uh, you're paying for the broadcast rights uh, to the parent company for this show and that amount that you're paying is higher than an outside company would pay for the broadcast rights for that other show. Right, so it's uh, it's just it's because you own uh, both the production company and the broadcast company that you're paying this amount, and that doesn't seem really fair. So I'm thinking that you know initially this was a private matter that they tried to resolve, and uh, at some point somebody went, you know, uh, look, if we don't get this resolved, the only recourse we have is uh, you know suing you in open court, and that. Makes it very public. And, uh, you know, AMC said, you know, look, this is a deal we have. This is the deal you have. Uh, you know, do what you got to do. And so they're doing what they got to do. And they're airing their dirty laundry, which probably, uh, you know, it's business. But, you know, it's just because it has people's names involved, Gail and Hurd, and, uh, uh, for example. So, I don't know. I think they're all professionals and they can probably deal with it. I don't think it'll necessarily hurt the show. It sucks. And I'd love to take even a small percentage of what they're making on the show. (laughs) But uh, no, I don't think really this
0: will have a a huge impact on it. These lawsuits happen all the time. Well, here are some more details on the lawsuit, Jason. So apparently the fee for each Walking Dead episode in seasons one to four was 1.45 million per episode. Right. And currently the fee is up to two point four million per episode. Now, Better Call Saul, which was produced by Sony and Mad Men, which was produced by Lionsgate, have higher fees than those or, or did while they were on the air. Uh, Mad Men's not. Of course, Better Call Saul is. Um, yet they had far lower ratings than The Walking Dead. Of course, Walking Dead gets 15 million an episode mad men was getting far less better call Saul was getting far less yet the fees were much much higher because there were different companies involved right so, so what ends up happening is amc charges themselves basically a nominal fee even though it's in the millions and therefore uh, that is worked into the calculation when paying out royalties and i don't know salaries or whatever and they end up not having to pay much because it's all percentage based So here are the percentages that each producer in the lawsuit is set to receive. Robert Kirkman, 5%. Gail Ann Hurd, 7.5%. Alpert, I wrote down 7.5, but I have a feeling that's a typo on my part because I don't think he makes the same as Hurd. Sorry about that. And then Mazzara, 1.5%. So the idea is when the fees are calculated to be so low by AMC, Kirkman's 5% ends up being way less than he thinks it should be. And that's why they're upset. Yeah. So from the lawsuit, um, uh, this comes, there can be no question that if AMC studios and AMC network were not part of the same conglomerate, the story would be very different. Those substantial license fees for Mad Men and Breaking Bad continued in seasons five and beyond, even though their ratings were a fraction of the walking deads. And while the AMC network only obtained a limited number of play dates for those series as part of the comparatively higher license fees, it paid for them both on television and its affiliated websites. The AMC entities unilaterally took for themselves the right to run an unlimited number of runs of The Walking Dead in perpetuity on all AMC platforms. Right, so it comes down to we can do whatever we want. We can set this fee at whatever we want. And that determines how much you make because we own you. Right. And that's why they're upset. And when you think about it like that, I would be upset too, even though 5% of millions of dollars is still pretty good. I guess it's, you just got to roll with it. And, and, you know, you, he, he, Kirkman and everybody thinks they're owed much more.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it's nice that, uh, you know, it's nice to have a job where you can actually negotiate your, uh, your, your uh, your income like
0: that, you know, percentage of profit. I guess so. I mean, that happens in other companies though, right? Like you have a bonus structure at work, right? And that's based but on yeah. percentage of something.
1: But the negotiation that goes on, uh, between, you know, me and the company I work for is nowhere near, I, I nowhere near have the, uh, uh, the leverage that say Gayle Ann Hurd or Frank Darabont has for developing a show No, of course, or even any of the actors, right? Right, because uh, you know that's that's a whole other structure that they uh, that they have, and they negotiate their contracts. You know, my contract is uh, it basically it boils down to I'm happy to get whatever they give me.
0: Right, you're paid a you salary, know? and the bonus is just that—a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that goes into you know fixing holes in the roof and uh, oh gosh. whatever else. So, new furnace. And a new furnace. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Well, an AMC spokesperson had this to say, these kinds of lawsuits are fairly common in entertainment and they all have one thing in common. They follow success. Virtually every studio that has had a successful show has been the target of litigation like this, and The Walking Dead has been the number one show on television for five years in a row, so this is no surprise. We have enormous respect and appreciation for these plaintiffs, and we will continue to work with them as partners, even as we vigorously defend against this baseless and predictably opportunistic (laughs) Uh, lawsuit. From these wonderful assholes. There is so much, (laughs) like... (laughs) double speak in that almost in that uh statement it hurts my brain like we have enormous respect and appreciation for these plaintiffs we will continue to work with them as partners even though we and even as we vigorously defend this baseless and predictably after opportunistic lawsuit like they're they're saying yeah they're saying these people are greedy bastards but we're going to work with them because we need to it's lawyer speak right
1: you can't give an inch as soon as you give an inch in the public eye uh, it gives your uh, you know the other the people on the other side of the the room uh, an advantage so right. you can't do anything but uh, say these things kinds of things that the, you know, the uh, the lawsuit is baseless, It uh, we're going to vigorously defend it, and it just, it seems like uh, boilerplate stuff, you know, and it's nice that they, the only thing I take of real value in there is just like, you know, we like these people, these kinds of things are common, we're going to continue to work with them, even though they're a bunch of greedy bastards that uh, don't have any
0: uh, basis for this this bullshit that they brought up, and they're a bunch <laughs> of jerks. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what, what they're saying. Well, they responded, <laughs> the, the plaintiffs responded with, while we disagree with AMC on the merits of our lawsuit, we appreciate its statement and that it will continue to work with us as partners on the continued success of The Walking Dead, Fear the Walking Dead, and The Talking Dead. We also reaffirm our commitment to continue to make the best programs available. See, that's nice. See, that's c- kind of nice. Like, that's a... You know, we disagree, but we're still going to do our best to make a show because we know Uh, everyone loves it. We're all
1: professionals here. We're going to keep doing this. This is a great property. We love it. So we love doing this job. We love, uh, you know, all this great stuff. We just don't think you guys are uh, being very fair. Jerks.
0: I just can't help but think, though, that there's no way in the universe that this isn't going to affect the relationship somehow, though. And I know everybody it's in their best interest to continue making a show that is successful and highly rated and watched by millions of eyeballs. But you, it's just so hard to sue your friend, sue your neighbor, and and continue to have a pleasant relationship with them. It's so it is hard.
1: When it's personal, like if you're going to sue your neighbor, that gets to a level of uh, animosity that is well beyond what I think that, we're experiencing here uh this like the uh, the first statement said you know this all follows success this kind of this shit happens when a show is wildly successful happened on friends it happens on all kinds of shows where uh you know the the actors and friends when they signed up for a pilot, you know, you sign on the dotted line. There's going to be five years. This is going to be your fee structure for the five years. And you're like, holy shit. Yeah. No kidding. Look at this. Look at all this money. We're just, you know, we're starving actors. Let's, uh, let's take what we can get. And then five years later, it's the biggest friggin' show on television. You're like, well, I think it's time to renegotiate our contract. And I
0: think we all need to stick together to, to do this. And it got ugly. Well, but with friends, they, the cast, (coughs) the cast agreed to negotiate as a a unit, like together. So they were all paid the same. And so there would never be any um, animosity amongst cast members because they decided that the show was its best and would have the most chance of being successful if they all were happy and worked together and they didn't have to worry about, oh, well, Jennifer Aniston was getting paid twice as much as Courtney Cox. So now, you know, there's a problem there. And, and that's kind of what's happening here in a way where we get the producers suing um, AMC as a team. But it's just it seems to me a little nastier, like there was never any lawsuits amongst the cast and the producers of friends that I know of.
1: No, I don't think it got to that point, but, uh, no, I think that they're all professionals. They're all going to be pulling in the same direction to make this a successful show. And I think that, uh, it's just, they need to iron out some of the financial details I guess of, uh, of what's going on.
0: I also think it's kind of, well, super dickish on the part of AMC to say that you're, you're just doing this because it's successful and, and they're I- not wrong. Well, no, I guess they're not wrong, but it's like, if this show was teetering on the edge, you wouldn't be bothering, uh, because there, there'd be no point to it all. And I guess they're yeah. not wrong, but I don't know. It, it just feels like there's jerks on both sides of this. To yeah. Me.
1: I, 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 don't think that it's that, uh, I don't think the emotions are running as high as you think they are. Hmm. I think that's a, that was a shitty statement by, uh, AMC, but that's lawyers. That's, uh, that's the AMC, uh, lawyer pool writing their boilerplate bullshit and getting it out to the media. Uh, No, I don't, I don't think the animosity is there
0: that you do. When are people going to learn not to let lawyers do anything?
1: Well, they need to do some (laughs)
0: stuff. Except maybe argue for you in court. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's get back, getting back to Frank Darabont's lawsuit for a second. That's still ongoing. As I said, it's over the same thing. And Frank is claiming $280 million in damages, and Darabont's suit, according uh, to the article, claims that the license fee for The Walking Dead should be closer to $30 million per episode. And if you recall, I said that they're charging $2.4 million. Right. So if Darabont's numbers are to be believed, Jason, the new lawsuit could potentially involve damages of over $1 billion. Nice. That is a shit ton of money.
1: Well, yeah. And you know <laughs> what they say, a billion here, a billion there eventually starts to add up to real money.
0: Yeah, it sure does. And I think it's going to add up. If this is a successful lawsuit for these people, it's going to add up to a lot of money. I went and did a little searching. And according to Variety, AMC Network's revenue for the first quarter of 2017 was $720 million. Okay.
1: So
0: I, I that was in Variety. I have to you know, take that for what it is, it's probably accurate. And if that's to be believed, that makes them a roughly, by my calculation, 2.8 billion company, 2.8 billion dollar company. If you take 720 million, multiply by four over the course of four quarters in a year and 2.8 billion. So a billion dollars is a massive percentage of their yearly revenue. Now, I'm not an economist. I don't know shit about, you know, shit usually, but that seems like nearly a third of their uh, annual revenue. It's third of the annual, but you know, the walking dead has been on the air for seven years. (laughs) Right. So do they get retroactively paid based on a 30 million per episode fee? Sweet mother. I mean, well, these, no, these it'll people. Be, that's are...
1: that's. I think for what Frank Darabont is alleging there is that uh, that's what the fee should be right now, based on the ratings and airplay and whatever formula he's used. You know, that's not what uh, it. The fees should have been in the first season. Those first six episodes were nowhere near that. No. Right. So that's what it is now. So I think there's a, there's a sliding scale there right. over seven years. So it's not going to be. All, all of that, it's just, it's going to be, it's going to be less, but it is a significant portion, but this show is a significant
0: money earner for, uh, AMC. It's yeah. their biggest property. It is. I wonder if this fallout from all this is AMC has to pay more. So then AMC charges more for advertising. Advertisers are less willing to buy in because maybe they think it's become too expensive. Is there a tipping point? Do you think where, um, AMC is forced to value their their show at a certain amount and therefore going to try and recoup that revenue somewhere else. And that's what might sort of bring the show down because if you can't sell ads, well, you don't have a show generally. AMC is not going to take a loss. There's no way.
1: Like they're not going to, like if they have to pay more, they're going to try and make that up somewhere because shareholders
0: be like, what, you want me to give back money? I don't think so. (laughs) That's not how it works. I'm afraid nobody ever (laughs) wants to do that. I'm just, I just feel like there's no good outcome here, except maybe for Kirkman and Hurd and everybody who might get a massive payday.
1: Yeah. but I mean, if they, if they sold, if AMC sold French fries, the price of French fries would go up, right? <laughs> if they had to pay, you know, dividends on, uh, you know, pay out in a lawsuit on French fries. Right. Fine. <laughs> but- so the, you know, luckily, well, yeah, it's good. They got to make the money somewhere. So they'll- go at the advertisers.
0: Right. That's, that's what it is. They'll, they have to make that money up somewhere. And I, I just, I don't, I don't hold it against, listen, if AMC is genuinely screwing over everybody, I don't hold it against Kirkman and his group for trying to remedy that through a lawsuit. I just don't feel like there is an outcome here that really is an upside to us who like to watch the show and would like to keep, you know, continue watching it and have it be good and be on the air and stuff like that. And Kirkman and everybody is going to walk away with a massive payday, but they're going to lose their show. And I don't blame them for wanting to get paid, but I wonder if they're thinking about it like that.
1: They must be, they. Maybe they know the show is fucked anyway. Like these people, if anybody knows this show has uh, reached its pinnacle and is on its downward slope,
0: it's these people. Jesus, if that's the case, then this is this is the, I don't even know what to say about that. Like they've, they've, they've realized this and decided, well, now's our chance to fire, fire off this lawsuit, you know, get our massive pockets filled with massive amounts of money and move on to something else. Exactly. Yeah. But it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Right. Uh, you know, if uh, this, uh, we
1: think the show is on its downward slope, so we're going to launch this lawsuit, which will ensure that it's on its downward slope.
0: Well, the next item in the news has me a little bit more depressed now, Jason, because the, the next <laughs> item is and and uh, I don't think I sent this one to you. But Mr. Kirkman, right around the same time that this news of the lawsuit broke, uh, news broke that he has signed a deal with Amazon Studios. Oh, yeah. So he doesn't even work for AMC anymore. I mean, he does, of course, because he's still a producer on, on The Walking Dead and Fear and all that stuff. But his like first look deal with AMC was up and he decided to go to Amazon for future projects. Right. So here from deadline.com, Amazon has closed an overall deal with Kirkman and a first look deal with Kirkman's Skybound Entertainment, which he co-founded with longtime collaborator, David Alpert, another person in the lawsuit. Under the pact, Kirkman and Skybound will develop television projects for prime video amazon prime so kirkman's suing his current employer more or less and has signed a deal with a new studio for all future projects and i don't like the sound of this the more i say things out loud to be honest
1: well i think that uh We could look on the bright side and say that, uh, there's some, there's going to be some good television content coming
0: in the future. From Amazon. Probably from Amazon. And frankly, from AMC too, probably, but not from Robert Kirkman at AMC. Uh, Sharon Taligado, I don't know how to pronounce that, but she's the head of event series at Amazon Studios. Had this to say, Robert and the team at Skybound are some of the most innovative and fearless creatives in the business together we plan to explore immersive worlds and bold ideas for prime video now yeah sharon Talugato is also the former executive vice president of global scripted programming at fox network groups and the head of fox international studios so she supervised the walking dead for fox international channels which is the international distributor for the show So she had that existing relationship with Robert Kirkman. And I guess was in a way able to poach him over to Amazon now that she's there. So it's all. Maybe they hold hands all the time. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they do. It's all very complicated, confusing and a little suspect, if you ask me.
1: Well, it's. uh, Yeah, I think this kind of this. This industry is all like this, and it's been like this for a long time. Mm -hmm. The problem with the entertainment industry is that uh, on one hand, it's entertainment and uh, artistic, and on the other hand, it's an industry that manufactures something. And the fact that they go hand in hand all the time, it makes things confusing.
0: Yes, it certainly does. And you're right, it's a business, and they're all out to make money. And they don't admit that they say they're out there to make art and entertainment and so on. And I'm, I'm sure there's a portion of it that is that, but it's about making money. And I guess yeah. Kirkman's going to go where he thinks he has the best chance to, uh, make more money. It's like playing Monopoly. It's, uh, you know, Monopoly
1: on its, uh, on its face is a board game. You get the family together and you have fun by playing, uh, this, uh, this, you know, jaunty little game, but according to the rules the whole nature of the game is to vigorously destroy all of your opponents by gaining all of the money uh, that you possibly can and making sure everybody else is poor
0: yeah monopoly is a reflection of society
1: it, it is and uh, I you know I can't I don't play it anymore because I don't I uh, well, first of all, I don't like it. I don't like adversarial games. I like to play a game where everybody's on the same side, which is rare, it, yeah. but basically it boils down to D&D because in D&D, everybody's on the same side. You're, You're all on the same, in the same party trying to kill the same damn dragon. Shut up. Don't talk about Game of Thrones. <laughs> so, uh, but any other game, it's, it's just a little too adversarial. I don't even like playing cards. Because, you know, in order for me to win, somebody else has to lose. Oh, you're-
0: And I feel bad about that. You're such a, you're so, you're so lame.
1: Cards is pretty- I am uh, lame. Cards is- But I don't like making people lose.
0: Because I usually win. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, anyways, someone's going to lose here. And uh, right now, it doesn't seem like it's Robert Kirkman. Uh, I, I just- Well, no, Robert Kirkman, is, uh, he's pretty set. What do you think though? I mean- Will Kirkman? Do you think we're going to see another Walking Dead universe show on Amazon in the future, or is Kirkman going to focus on other stuff he owns?
1: What what's the but what, uh, what's that comic that he has that has uh, was it superhero dinosaurs or is it
0: elephants? No, or what is it? He did uh, yeah he did a no superhero dinosaurs yeah he did one with dinosaurs for kids but he also has one called Invincible which is like superhero teenagers. And I read a lot of Invincible, but I think it's already in development for another network. I don't remember which one right now. So that's probably not going to Amazon, but he's got other stuff too, um, that, uh, you know, are likely going to show up at Amazon or we're going to have another Walking Dead show. Why can't he make more and more shows in the Walking Dead universe and just put them on all different networks?
1: Well, AMC probably owns the idea, right? Like the. The idea of, uh, uh, zombies. You think so? I think, you know, if you're going to make a deal, uh, wouldn't you say, uh, I want to, you know, I'm sure I'll take the walking dead and, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't you want to lock that down? So if you make any other, uh, undead, uh, realm type things that, uh,
0: that you'd lock it down I, and not let them go somewhere else? I guess maybe, but who knows how the deal is structured. They might not have realized they had such a hit on their hands way back before season one. So maybe Kirkman owns the rights to his universe. He still owns the rights to the comic books, right? So yep. I'm sure there's a loophole there somewhere where he can say, I'm making a TV show based on this aspect of a comic universe, not your TV zombies. There's a yeah, guy, there's probably something in there. I don't know. Maybe I, I'm just not so sure. I'm keen on seeing another, uh, Walking Dead TV show on Amazon. But maybe I am. Maybe it would be a totally different thing, which could be good. So it could be. You never know. I'm, I just want this show to keep going on AMC for a while. Well, keep going for a while and end strong, right? Don't put, putter out into nothing. Yeah. So, all right. Um, next item in the news here is that AMC has purchased Sonoy Studios which is the studio they've been filming The Walking Dead at in Sonoy, Georgia, you know, since uh, pretty much the beginning. Uh, they purchased, it was called Rally Studios Atlanta previously, and they purchased it on July 19th, 2017. They spent $8.25 for it. Um, and uh, yeah, they've been shooting there since 2011. And they AMC has been the sole tenant of this studio for the entire time. So they just figured, you know what? it's it's all us let's just let's just buy the place this more studi- vertical integration more exactly <laughs> they, they yeah. own the physical Why pay building pay an external company when we can just uh, move money around on a balance sheet and not actually spend any yep exactly exactly so this is all related this is all part of it this studio is used for the prison The junkyard where the uh, scavengers live, the hilltop, the sanctuary, apparently part of Oceanside was shot there. And the studio, of course, is a soundstage, but also I think the surrounding area and wilderness, and they just transform it into uh, whatever they need. Alexandria, of course, is shot in on location in Sonoy, Georgia. So that's the actual town where you and I have been. Um, I guess AMC doesn't think The Walking Dead is going anywhere anytime soon because they're buying up the studio where they shoot it or they have decided to make lots and lots of shows in georgia so why not have a, a whole studio facility right there for them all to themselves well it can't hurt no i guess not
1: I guess it's not. like uh you know going to home depot and uh, renting a drill for the afternoon sure i can rent a drill for the afternoon you do that enough times you start thinking you know maybe i should buy a
0: drill it'd be cheaper <laughs> it probably would be very quickly for a drill yeah yeah. Well, that's it for um AMC Studio Vertical Integration News. I do have <laughs> a couple other items here. One is a new cast member for season 8. Oh yeah? So, not really spoilery, but if you don't want to hear about a cast member being cast in season 8, then I might jump ahead, but Can I guess? Sure. Uh Tom Arnold. Not Tom Arnold. Tom Selick? Cuz <laughs> that would be great. Nope, not Tom Selleck. Oh, that'd be awesome. Any other I Tom? Want Tom Selleck on the show. That would be quite something. Maybe Tom Selleck would have made a better Negan. <sighs> it's just, oh, Controversial be, statement. That's a tough one. That's a tough <laughs> one. I think Burt Reynolds probably would have made a great Negan. I don't know. You haven't read the comics. That's the, your problem. With Negan in it, I mean. Right. Uh, I have no problems with Burt Reynolds. Yeah, okay. Well, a, a guy named Avi Nash has been cast in season eight. He was actually in the trailer from Comic-Con. I do believe I mentioned there is one character shown in that trailer in a, you know, a sort of quick flashy montage of a bunch of characters that I didn't recognize. There was one guy in there and that's yep. him, Avi Nash. So apparently there has been no official announcement yet from AMC, but he was there in the trailer and he is a known person. Do you ever watch Silicon Valley? Absolutely not. Is that a show? It's a show. I haven't watched it either, but apparently he was on that show. Um, uh, so he's, he's a known guy and people like him. But last year, a casting call went out, and I do believe we talked about this, but they were looking for a character named Abud, an innately likable Muslim American who, whose nerves are jangled because he's flown solo for far too long in the zombie apocalypse.
1: Ah, uh, see, that sounds like fun. Flying solo? No, just being, you know, having frazzled nerves. I, uh, I envision, um, Morgan from, uh, the comic book when he shows up. Yeah. He's just he, frazzled, right? He's, he's very, very frazzled. F- yeah. So that's, that's the kind of thing. Whereas Morgan in the TV show, when he shows up, he's just this cool dude that has all his shit together, even though he really
0: shouldn't. Yeah. But then he, he gets frazzled for a while while he clears and then he comes back to being a cool dude. Yeah. But he got his shit together, right? He did. So no, I just, yeah, I think, uh, playing someone that sounds like a very juicy part. I think that would be fun. All right. Well, we have it to look forward to in, in season eight. I don't know anything about the actor, but I'm curious to see, uh, where they go with it. Uh, McFarlane Toys, you remember them. They are releasing a new two pack deluxe action figure. If- If I was going to put out, or if you were going to put out a two pack, Jason, of action figures, what two characters would you put together in that two pack? Carl and Enid. Well, that's a good guess, but that is not it. Uh, I would put, uh, Maggie and her baby. That's more of a one and a half pack. Well, I don't know. Baby could be a whole person. That's true. (laughs) I guess. Uh, let's see here.
1: Oh, 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 shit. (laughs) I forget the guy's name. Well, then you're Uh, not correct
0: because you wouldn't forget these people's name.
1: (laughs) The, uh, the leader of the Hilltop, Jeffrey, George, uh, Gregory, Gregory and, uh, his sidekick there, that guy that, uh, he keeps asking for stuff.
0: What is it? Cal?
1: Gregory and Cal? Yeah.
0: Gregory and Cal. That's, That's what I would put. That'd be awesome. Not those two either. And it's not Simon and Gregory. That would be a good two pack. Maybe. Oh yeah, Simon and anybody. Simon and another Simon, because that'd be awesome. Two Simons. (laughs) (laughs) No, they're putting out a two-pack of Negan and Glenn. Oh God. If you're going to do a two-pack, put those two in there. So the deluxe box includes two fully posable five-inch figures of those two characters. Features include two scaled assault rifles, pistol, watch, knife, and Lucille baseball bat. Glenn does not have an interchangeable head involving a smashed-in version. Well, that surprises me a little bit. Me too, a little bit, but I'm kind of glad. Do you really need a Bastion Glenn head action figure?
1: Well, it just seems like a weird combination, you know, some kind of buddy cop
0: uh, package. Eh, It's it's not really a buddy cop package. It's more of a baseball bat package. Baseball bat to the head package. I don't know. I... I think it's a interesting choice. It's available now from entertainmentearth.com or I guess wherever you buy action figures. So if you want to have Negan and Glenn together and reenact that scene with your action figures, you can. I'd rather have a Simon and Simon. Perfect. Simon and Simon. <laughs> yep. That was a good show too. I used to watch that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just like the reference. Very good. Okay. Finally, The Walking Dead Season 7 limited edition Blu-ray is coming and do you recall any of the other limited limited edition Blu-ray sets? Just- there was one that was a head,
1: a zombie head. There was one that was uh, a governor fish tank Correct. with uh, a zombie head. Mm-hmm. Got a theme going on here. So uh, this particular one will be... Glenn's head all smashed in? No,
0: no, they didn't go there. They did not go there. The first one you were thinking of was the RV inspector zombie with the screwdriver through his eye. Right. From way back. Yep. Um, And then there was the governor's fish tanks. That's right. There was that moss covered tree zombie that was melting into the tree. There was that one. So season seven is going to be Winslow, the spiky scavengers junkyard zombie that Rick puts his hand through. I got to admit, I think it's my favorite. It is very, very cool looking. Winslow, he's the, oh, he's the, uh, the mouth of Sauron zombie. That's right. Yeah, yeah with that's the, no, the one. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> he actually has a name though. It's Winslow, mouth of Sauron. Yes, excellent. Uh, it's pretty cool. It is pretty cool looking. So if you haven't seen it or you're collecting these or something, go out and check it out. It looks pretty neat. I don't actually own any of the other... Blu-ray special editions, because one, I never really got into Blu-ray and I wouldn't mind having them to put on display, but they'd probably upset my kids, especially (laughs) like five years ago when they started putting these things out and my kids were really young. Now, maybe not so much, but still. Well, the secret to doing that is you build a shelf in one of your daughter's rooms and
1: put them on there and two weeks later, it'll just become old news, right? They won't even notice it.
0: Yeah, and I guess if I put them, if I sneak in in the middle of the night and put them on there, so when they wake up in the morning, they're just there. That's probably the best way to do it. Yeah, you just have to desensitize them. Right. Exactly. And then it'll be fine. I do have my um, Evil Dead the Musical posters up over here beside me, which are not exactly super scary, but you know they're Evil Dead the Musical, and there's some uh, there's a little bit of gore on there. So yep. I they've gotten used to those. They don't even bring them up anymore. Excellent. See. Incidentally, Evil Dead the musical is coming back to Toronto this November for a limited run. I think we should go. November, eh? Yeah. Where? At uh, Massey? No, 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 no. Massey Hall's like a music venue. This is a theater. <laughs> so, well, whatever. It'll be it's at a theater um on Bathurst Street, I think, south of Bloor. Oh, I've been there. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw the Basketball Diaries guy there once. It was awesome. Well, whatever. It's they're they're doing Evil Dead the musical and I think we should go. It would be fun. I like that idea. I would like to subscribe to your newsletter. Very good. Maybe we can sit in the splatter zone. That'd be cool. I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) Uh, All right. And that is it for the Walking Dead news. So all kinds of stuff this week. Most of it makes me a little nervous, to be honest, with (laughs) with all this suing of each other. It's too much inside baseball.
1: If you know too much about anything, it makes you nervous. You just kind of have to watch the show and
0: go, it's a good show. You know, I like the show. Yeah, but I got to follow the news. I mean, it's it's our job. It's what we do. I got to stay on the pulse of what's happening with The Walking Dead and AMC.
1: Yeah, but I, well, I guess my point is, uh, since you're paying so much attention to this, it makes you nervous. If you paid this much attention to anything, that would make you nervous. So I don't think that this is outside the realm of normality or normalcy, normality. normality, normalcy, 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 <laughs> whatever. Something like uh, that. Something normal. And uh, so, yeah, I don't think you should be as nervous
0: as you are. So what you're saying is this kind of shit is happening all the time. And Everywhere. Sh-
1: mostly nobody cares. I'm surprised the world works at all. Mm. And that we all haven't died out because of our own stupidity.
0: Well, we survived the eclipse today and some people thought that was going to make animals go crazy and... Bring on the apocalypse. So
1: none of <laughs> people that People used to shoot flaming arrows at the, at the eclipse because they thought
0: the sun was going out. I'm glad we don't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, me too. I <laughs> would just make for an, I, I wouldn't have felt such a sense of community while I was walking around downtown today and everyone was sharing glasses. I would have been a little more frightened. Yeah. If there were flaming arrows and people with swords running around and stuff like that.
1: And people running around in circles screaming, thinking the world is going to end and, uh, you know, so sure that the world is over, that they're killing all their friends and neighbors because they want to save them from the, uh, from the
0: apocalypse. Right. Impending doom. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that would be a crazy world to live in. All right. Let's uh, move on into our review of The Girl With All The Gifts. Okay. So... This movie, Jason, I decided I wanted to talk about it on the podcast because I watched it recently and I thought it was really, really great. And I'm like, you know what? We need to talk about this movie. Uh, And and I was curious to find out what you thought of it. So I'm just going to really quickly read the summary for IMDb. They say a scientist and a teacher living in a dystopian future embark on a journey of survival with a special young girl named Melanie. It was written by Mike Carey, who did the screenplay for the movie, but is also the author of the book, the original novel. And it stars Gemma Arterton, Glenn Close, Patti Considine, a dude that I love, and C- uh, Senia Nanua. And I'm probably getting that wrong, but she plays the girl, Melanie, in pretty much her first ever acting role. So that is the movie. Um, I'm going to let you start. I really liked the movie, but what did you think of it? I thought it was extremely okay. Really? Only okay?
1: Come on. Well, there was aspects to it that I really liked, and there was aspects to it that I thought uh, didn't quite make it for me. So we're going to be, are we spoil-filled or
0: spoil-free in this particular? We always spoil a little bit. So um, if you can do some general thoughts first, then we'll do like a spoiler warning and then get into it a little bit more.
1: Okay. So, well, based on that description, there's really no uh, plot, like... We can't really say what the the major plot device is. So, uh, basically, uh, I like the acting. Mm -hmm. I thought uh, the girl who played Melanie, uh, Senia Nenua, did a fantastic job. I thought she was amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gemma Archton, I've only seen her in, like, Quantum of Solace, so I think she did pretty good. Uh, Glenn Close,
0: it seemed to me like she was slumming a little bit. I don't know what it was. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. I thought Glenn Close was okay, but you're right. Maybe not her best performance ever. Yeah.
1: I like the, uh, the concept of what they were going for. Um, I guess when we get to the spoiler section, I could be more detailed, but, uh, I like the ideas behind, uh, this story.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, they, it's a different take on,
1: uh, this kind of genre. Well, we can say, I can't even...
0: we can say there are, there are zombies more or less in it. I mean, that's why we're talking about it, because it does involve um, some sort of virus that makes people go crazy. Uh, I'm not sure, actually, if it's clear that if they're undead in this or if they're just infected and, you know, raging all over the place, but they are the monsters. They are the key threat. And um, that's what our group of people are trying to avoid and trying to run from what they're ultimate goal is, is sort of where you get into spoiler territory a little bit more, but, um, I, I, think it's safe to say that there are zombies slash monsters in this movie that are out to get them.
1: Right. So it, it I think it more leans towards infected mm-hmm. for me. Uh, but I like the, uh, uh the concept of it I found interesting. I just I there was aspects to it that I thought I don't know. It see just came, seemed kind of okay hmm. to me.
0: I mean it was it was it was okay, but it, I don't think it was great. I don't think it was terrible. Okay. That's fair, I guess. I mean, I thought I I was really surprised by it. I I had been meaning to watch this movie for a long time. Um I know other people have seen it and have really enjoyed it. Uh I must admit i met mike carey at a walker stalker con uh briefly when he was um in london and he was actually talking about a sequel to this book although i think it's a prequel that he's writing right um so i decided it's time to watch the movie i threw it on and uh was really really surprised by it i thought the like you said the acting was all really good especially the girl senia was fantastic i'll get into a little bit more on that in a second um but I, and I really enjoyed kind of the, the staging of the movie. I thought it looked cool. I thought the environments were, were interesting. Um, when they were, um, on their journey, as it says in the description, I thought some of the locations they went to were really, really cool and just really good sort of production design on the whole thing. And there was enough of a of a really great balance between some of the horror and the action with character moments that made it work really well for me. I felt like we got to know these people. I felt like I, um, you know, you're rooting for them, but at the same time, and all that came from the character stuff. And then at the same time, there were these really great action scenes and sort of horror set pieces that they, they did really well. So I think they did both of those things quite well in this movie. And, and I ended up really enjoying it for that. Um, so I guess, I guess we can sort of get into a little bit more spoiler talk right now. So if you don't want to hear any spoilers for the girl with all the gifts, um, move on. And, uh, we're, I think we're going to do some after hours too on this podcast. So jump to the end and listen to that as well. Um, But in terms of spoilers, Jason, what else do you have to say?
1: Well, I like the idea of having infected or uh, zombies uh, retaining their personhood. The children uh, are, you know, they're infected. They're definitely uh, after uh, food, a food source, Mm -hmm. but they still retain, uh, you know, their you know consciousness, so they're still there's still people, but they're just infected people. I like that concept. I like the idea of the spores having uh, multiple stages, even though they didn't make a lot of sense to me. Where they uh, maybe you can help me with this. Where the, so the first stage is where the people get infected with these with this spore, mm-hmm. and and then the spores then make a big tower that's supposed to get caught on fire.
0: Well that's what happened. But yes, there's a fungus that gets into the human being and it takes over the brain and it's controlling the brain and yeah, it turns you into what they call a hungry The the living called them hungries in this movie, which I thought was a great name. <laughs> um, they are extremely fast, extremely strong and violent, and they are just there to attack and eat you and really hard to get away from. Like these are not slow moving zombies. These are fast, vicious monsters that are are out to get you. But they also go into this sort of dormant state when there's no food around. They kind of go to sleep. And I thought that was really interesting too. But back to the stages, you're right. I think the fungus infects the brain, takes over the person, and then eventually they kind of come together and these spores start growing and they almost amalgamate into a single unit These spores grow and eventually they'll pop and spread the, uh, spread the fungus through the air. So they'll, it'll really take over absolutely everything. If you're not infected already, you will be because you end up breathing them in. Right. And that's stage two. And that's what Glenn Close as the main scientist was explaining at one point in the movie, that's stage two of the, uh, evolution of this fungus or whatever it was
1: yeah so I'd, I'd like the the concept of that, and I like the concept of uh, you know some of the zombies. so it was only the children
0: that uh, retained their personhood. The adults didn't. because right? they were offspring from the originally infected adults, right right? So they had more human nature to them than the originally original infected people did. Yeah, And that's what um, Melanie is in the movie. She is the offspring, and, you know, living people have determined that these children still can function as humans, even though they are sort of part monster. Um, They live almost in symbiosis, is that the word, with with the fungus, right? The human is still there, but the fungus is still there. And the people are able to school them, train them, teach them how to talk, and um, actually actually work with them as other human beings. And what Glenn Close is trying to do is create a, a uh, antidote based on this second generation of infected people, which is all pretty cool. I thought, I think that's a really neat idea. Um, It all goes to shit, of course, when a herd of infected come and overtake the military base they're living on. um, And then they're forced out on the road and trying to survive, you know, with a few supplies and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, and Melanie, uh, helps them out by, uh, you know, they, initially they keep her captive, mm-hmm. uh, because all the children are captives and they try and maintain that kind of, uh, status, but it turns out, uh, later on that they, she can help by going out by herself. She can so, move amongst the infected without them trying to eat her because she is one of a, them. She is, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I, th- I like that idea, you know, and she- knew that she was infected and when she uh so the, that's for these kids that uh, are infected or are living in symbiosis with the uh, with the fungus um, they're perfectly fine unless they receive some kind of stimulus that there's food nearby. Mm-hmm. So this is the part that kind of broke down for me is uh, is they have some kind of bug spray that they put on themselves so that these infected children don't smell them and think that they're food.
0: Yeah, they have a blocker gel, they called it, right? They put it on their bodies and it prevents the infected from smelling them. It just seemed like a kind of a weird uh, MacGuffin. It just it, it seemed like it was awfully convenient. No, nah, I don't know. I, I think that's the kind of thing that, it didn't bother me at all because it feels like the kind of thing that you would try to develop in, uh, in this kind of world, right? Where there's monsters that have to get you. If, if you know that it works on smell, put on rubbing alcohol or whatever it is so they can't smell you. I, it worked okay for me. I, I thought it was a good enough, um, uh, a good enough way to, to give the living a chance because otherwise there was just no chance because the infected people in this were so fast and furious. Like I, like I said, I just don't see anyone surviving them. If, if there wasn't this kind of way to prevent them from smelling them. Yeah. So I don't and know. That, I guess that's part of my problem. You think that's a
1: good thing. I think it's bad. Thing. Yeah, I
0: suppose. <laughs> well, uh, I thought, as I said, I thought, uh, Melanie was amazing. And what I really, really liked about the way her character was written and the way she portrayed it is that, Yes, she's a monster who's out to eat you, but she's also a kid. And she had a very, uh, she portrayed a very um, innocent, childlike innocence, I thought, which was really, really good. She doesn't know a lot about stuff, but she's very smart. Um you know, at one point she thinks the the hungries might just be lonely. That's extremely naive and innocent, right? Like a child might think. Uh, When she gets new shoes, they're Velcro, and you see her playing with the Velcro on the shoes. I've seen kids do that, you know, their first pair of Velcro shoes. There's a part where she's going through some houses looking for supplies, and she's just discovering things in the house, playing with the magnets on the fridge and other stuff in the house. And there's plenty of examples throughout the movie of her just being a kid. And I really like that. I thought that was one of those character things that really worked for me. You know, she's supposed to be this terrifying monster and that's what Patty Considine sees in her in his character. Um, but she's, she's not, even though she is that. And I think it was really, really well portrayed. So uh, that, that's one of the things that won me over a lot for it. Um, And then the other thing is just how friggin' scary the hungries were when they were out to get you. And even when they weren't out to get you, there's a scene where they are trying to make their way through a bunch of sleeping hungries. And when they're sleeping, they just stand there kind of swaying around in the wind a little bit, but not attacking you because they're dormant. And I didn't, I thought there was few things more terrifying than them trying to sneak through this this massive crowd of these monsters and you just know one wrong move or one noise too loud or something, or if your blocker gel wears off a little bit, you're doomed because there's nothing you could do when you were amongst that many of them. Uh, so it was really tense and, and I thought awesome and worked great for me. You make a compelling
1: argument and, uh, (laughs) I think I'm liking the movie a little bit more now that we've had this opportunity to chat about
0: it. Well, there you go. See, Funny how that happens. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I just found them truly scary. Like they were scary ass monsters, scarier than slow zombies. You know, I will say that right here, right now, that these were the, some of the scariest zombie like creatures I've seen in a movie in a long time.
1: Well, they didn't, they have different, uh, different meanings, right? Like the, the fast zombies are, you know, it speaks to our fear of predators, Right. Whereas the slow zombies speaks to our fear of the uh, constant slow uh, march of death that's coming for us all. Or even just the fear of the unknown. But yeah, same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Or, you know, mindless consumerism, depending on what you're looking for. Of course. But
0: uh, yeah, so they each have a different, uh, you know, speak to a different fear. Yeah, that's true. Well, I think I'm more afraid of predators, I guess, than the mindless oncoming of inevitable death. Right. Which I'm kind of afraid of that too. I'm just afraid of everything. Um, So, cool. It was was, uh, I liked all those things. A very cool soundtrack, I thought. It was ethereal and creepy and um, it, it worked with the movie really well. What did you think about the very end, though, Jason? I thought it was I wrote down amazingly tragic yet triumphant in a way at the same time. Right. Because uh, for me, the ending was come on. Yeah, I I know there was a little bit of that. There was I definitely I will admit there was a little bit of that for me because of where um, uh, Gemma Arterton's character ended up and where Melanie ended up and the situation they were in. I admit there's a little bit of that come on feeling, but I also thought it was on one hand, so tragic for one of those characters and so triumphant for the other one. And I'm not even going to say which is which, because people should see that. Yeah. That it balanced those two really sort of opposite things in a really, in a way that just sort of, I was torn. I didn't know which one to to go with. You know what I mean?
1: I just, it, it the ending kind of annoyed me. <laughs> I thought that maybe something would happen.
0: I had a feeling it would annoy you, to be honest. I yeah. I watched the movie twice because I watched it once and then decided to watch it with the wife. And uh, I told her it was really good. She came out of it sort of like you thinking that was okay, but it didn't blow me away or anything. But yeah. when I watched it the second time, I'm like, man, Jason is not going to like that ending. I just knew it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't like endings like that. Right. It's not, it's almost like they're trying to do, have their cake and eat it too. You know, they're trying to do both sort of this happy, sad ending, but I thought it kind of worked because they were so polar opposite, you know? Yeah. <laughs>
1: so, uh, I can't really speak more without uh, getting into, you know, severe spoilers. And
0: we don't want to spoil the very end of the movie. Maybe not the very end, final scene, no. So, uh, anyways, I recommend the movie. I think it's worth checking out and, uh, probably worth reading the book too, to be honest. I have not read the book, but I... I might now, I might go pick it up on Audible and, and give it a listen, so. I got a couple of extra uh, Audible credits, maybe I'll uh, I'll pick it up. There you go. I mean, maybe with a little more information, a little more detail um, that you often get from books, it might be more your cup of tea, but. Uh, Could be. I
1: just finished listening to the uh, the Dark Tower series again. All seven? All seven.
0: All right, well, <laughs> that's a lot of books. <laughs> it is. Did you see the movie? I did not. No, neither did I'm I. I'm afraid of the movie. <laughs> I did not see the movie either. And it heard terrible, terrible things about it. So. I'm,
1: I'm afraid that I'm going to watch that movie. And as soon as the credits roll, I'm going to yell out, what the hell was that? Right. You Cause... don't, and
0: you don't want the movie to sort of replace the books in your brain. And, and it's hard to prevent that from happening.
1: Uh, well, I have three very specific fears. Maybe we can talk about this later, about stuff I've seen in the trailers that uh, make me worried about this movie.
0: All right. Well. Why don't we wrap up the podcast here? I want to do a little bit of Talking Dead After Hours today, so maybe we can get into that in the after hours. But um, before we do that, folks, if you want to contact us, visit TalkingDeadPodcast.com when it's up and running. Let's hope it stays up and running for the foreseeable future. But you can visit the site and click on Send Voicemail to send us a voicemail if you'd like. You can also visit us on uh, Facebook at facebook.com slash the or at talking dead on Twitter, and you can send email to talking at gmail.com. So thank you so much for tuning in. If you have any thoughts on any of the lawsuit stuff, I would be curious to hear what everyone thinks. Is it going to affect the show? Is it going to? you know, just be behind the scenes and have no effect at all. Can all those people sue each other and still get along enough to make a good show? I'm, I'm curious to what everyone thinks. So send in your thoughts and comments on that, uh, and I'd love to hear it. Um, otherwise, coming up soon on the podcast, we are, of course, going to get back into covering fear the walking dead when it comes back which is relatively soon in september we'll do an episode on the trailer from comic-con about that show probably right before the show comes back and then from there on we're back into walking dead main you know starting in october so that's what's coming up in the meantime though thank you so much for tuning in stay tuned for some after hours talk um but uh until next time my name is chris And my name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao. All right, welcome to the Talking Dead After Hours, everyone. This is the portion of the show where we talk about stuff that's not usually Walking Dead related, but maybe, um, but it's usually just other things we want to bring up or chat about or whatever. And, uh, you know, it can be, it doesn't even necessarily have to be entertainment related. You've heard us talk about people falling through Jason's roof and things like that. So, uh, and me trying to, you know, accidentally answer a phone call in a movie. Everyone enjoyed that story. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> that was that. Um, but we're going to do a little bit here today. Do you want to talk about the dark tower at all? Well, maybe just briefly. Sure. The, okay. So
1: the thing that <sighs> Okay, the three things that worry me about the movie Uh is, uh, one, uh, there's a shot of the Dark Tower in the trailer. It's like, what the fuck? Come on. Is it not supposed to be there?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's The Gunslinger. It's the first book. No, the movie's not The Gunslinger. The movie, I've heard, takes place after the events of all seven books.
1: No, I know that. But, you know, if Roland is working through another turn of the tower, you know, is he going to get there so easily? Mm. I don't think so. Yeah, okay. Okay, so the... Showed him, showed him there. And the second thing is, uh, it seems like he's setting up, uh, the story is setting up an adversarial relationship between the gunslinger and the man, uh, the man in black. And the man in black, I mean, sure, the, the opening line of the book is awesome. The man in black fled across across the desert and the gunslinger followed. Like, that sets up everything. It tells you the motivation of the antagonist, the motivation of the protagonist, where you are, what's going on. one line, brilliant uh but the man in black isn't doesn't play a very large uh role in the novels and it sets up this this thing where uh roland is desperately trying to kill this guy and that's the whole reason for uh the whole movie
0: it's just it i don't know and there seems like there's a lot of shooting too which i don't like the boy in the tr- in the movie he's part of the books right Jake yeah. Yeah, I was kind of surprised about that. I felt like and I and I heard someone else say this too that it to me it seemed like that boy would was added to the story for the movie. No. Cuz it just feels like something that Stephen King wouldn't have had in his books, but uh, apparently that's not the case. So oh, I don't Jake's know. Jake's there. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't have any connection to the Dark Tower series. I have read the first book, but only the first book. And so I might see the movie just to see if, from a non-book perspective, it's okay. I've heard it's not. I've heard it's. We should really go see bad. it together then, maybe.
1: Yeah, maybe. Well, because the problem I have with the shooting is that the gunslinger, the idea is that Roland is so goddamn good with his guns. He pulls the trigger, something dies. The fact that mm-hmm. uh, at one point in the books, spoiler for the books, I'm sorry. But at one point in the book, uh, he gets a hold of uh, you know a hundred rounds of mm-hmm. ammo, yep. and he thinks he's won the lottery. Like this is the most ammo he's ever seen in his whole life, right? Because if he has fifteen shots, that's fifteen people that die when he pulls the trigger. Guaranteed. So he doesn't need a whole bunch of shots. He needs a shot to kill somebody or to do something miraculous every time he pulls that trigger it's a big event whereas in the trailer it looks like there's fucking gunplay going on all over the place well
0: it looks like he can reload
1: really well in the trailer he does in the like bullets in the books. up in the he, air and he's able to swipe them into the gun like i was wondering cool. how they were going to do that because in the book they basically and even in the gunslinger the first book it's uh it's almost a spell that he's casting right. by reloading his guns it's just he basically uh the way it's described in the book is that his hands do the reloading thing Mm-hmm. Right. It's just like, I don't have to think about this. It's just like, it. I, his hands reload for him. Second nature. He doesn't nature. have to think about it. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, it seemed a little
0: fancy, but anyway. Okay. Well, I'm curious about it, but I was more curious before I read some reviews and listened to my, some other podcasts where they talked about it and pretty much tore it apart. Well,
1: so. I, I blame Stephen King in a way because he lets... People do stuff with his stories that he's—he's uh, he's not real strict on making sure that uh, the movies and television shows are as good as his novels,
0: the as source material. Good as they should be, right? Yeah.
1: This is—and this is a big deal, right? This is—this uh, is his magnum opus. This is his uh, uh, Lord of the Rings, right? This is his big. Everything ties into uh, this mythos. Right. right? It, uh, the stand, uh, Salem's lots. There's all these books all have an aspect that basically tie into the dark tower, whether he knew it at the time or not, everything kind of like when he wrote the books, cause he took a big break between the gunslinger and continuing on with the story. Mm-hmm. Like he wrote the gunslinger in the seventies, but didn't come back to it until like 30 years later or 20 years later or something. Finally finished the last book in 2004 right right like it's a huge gap and he wrote a whole bunch of shit in between but they all kind of tie in in one way or the other this is this is a big deal the fact that he you know they finally made a movie about the dark tower and to fuck it up so badly is you, you can't blame anybody but stephen king for allowing that shit to happen i'm not sure i
0: want you to see the movie like, to, I, don't, I don't want you to be your Dark Tower to be ruined by a really bad movie. Apparently oh, they're the, doing a the TV dark show. The Dark Tower pisses me off in its own way. Like,
1: don't get me wrong. The ending of The Dark Tower annoyed me. <laughs> yeah, well.
0: <laughs> and that I definitely blame Stephen King for. Right, 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 right. Well, they're, apparently they're doing a TV show version of it too, unrelated to the movie, which is really weird, but maybe, they'll, maybe, it's, maybe it'll work as a TV show. Well, that kind of works in the novels as
1: well. Right. Like right. Uh, the first two novels are a one thing. And then the the, uh, the Song of Susanna or what is it? Uh, yeah. The Song of Susanna. They go in a different direction where they just, they tell a whole story. Like one of the novels is just, you know, Roland backstory. Right. Right. And then, right. then the whole other novel is basically the Magnificent Seven in Roland <laughs> terms. All they right. basically have to save a town.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't know. We, we will see. I'm... Uh, yeah, I'm not sure sure I want you to see it, but maybe it's, maybe it'll be worth it. Yeah, I'm scared. Keep the two, two, uh. Separate. Okay.
1: To be fair, I was this scared about The Martian. Because oh, because- I saw things in the trailer that made me really nervous about The Martian. I and know. it was way better than, uh, than my fears had led me to believe it might be. Yeah, 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 yeah. I
0: remember telling you that The Martian, you have to see The Martian. I remember telling you to read the book too. I remember. That, that was, was one good, of the, uh, that was one of the few, few times that, um, it wasn't the other way around. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Martian yeah. was
0: good. I like it. Yeah. I liked it. I've listened to the book twice and watched the movie twice.
1: I've done the same thing. I might've even seen the movie three times. The only problem I had with the Martian
0: was that Donald Glover was completely mis- miscast. <laughs> yeah, he was. But even that I didn't find as annoying as some other people. I thought I liked Donald Glover, but yes, he was probably the weakest part of the movie, of a really good movie. So. A really good movie. I yeah. can kind of let it slide. Uh, so listen, the other thing I wanted to address while we were here is um, that PlayStation game, The Last of Us. Oh yeah. Which I have recently finished. Right, because you had some vacation. Um, yeah, that's right. Because when I was, actually I wasn't on vacation when I finished it, but the, the wife and the kids were away. So I had nine days <clears throat> on my own at home. A vacation from your family, but you still had to work. I still had to go to work. That's right. But when I got home from work, Oh, fire up that PlayStation. I was playing The Last of Us. I started it many months ago. We talked about it here on the podcast and I started it because over the years I have had numerous people and listeners tell me, you got to play this game. You have to play this game. It's one of the best games of all time. You have to try it. Most notably was, you know, our listener, Angie in Birmingham, who Told me all the time I had to play it and and I believed her. I just didn't really have the opportunity to do so for a long time. Then I realized I knew someone that had an old PlayStation uh 3 and I borrowed it. I bought the game and I popped it in and I started it. And then I took a long break from it and then went back and, and finished it off. So Angie and I'm sure a few other people want to know what I thought of it now that it, it is done. And I'm here to say, happily. That I really enjoyed it. It's a really good. good game. I do find it difficult to, you know, come to a game that late. Like I played it five years after it was released four, maybe five almost. And, you know, to have that much buildup from a lot of people and then, and then go into it and expect it to live up to those expectations is kind of a daunting task for any game or movie or show or anything like that. So you know, I tried not to get overexcited for it. And I think there was a little bit of that in my feelings for it because while I did love it, um, I'm sorry. While I did really, really like it. I didn't, I can't say that, you know, it was earth shattering or, or life changing or anything like that. Right. But it is a very, very good game. I'm glad I played it. I'm glad I finished it. And, uh, I gave back the PlayStation to my friend, Chad, who I borrowed it from. And I, and since I have no need for the game anymore, I gave him the game and that was, um, I don't know, not even three weeks ago, maybe at most three weeks ago. He just texted me a couple days ago and he said, man, I just finished that game. The last of us, it was amazing. Five out of five stars. (laughs) How the fuck does Chad have enough time to play a video game that much? Well, I wrote him back and I said that I said, man, you do not fuck around with the video games. He's got eh? two two kids. Yeah. Yeah. Two kids younger than mine but um he he wrote me back and he said you know i may have taken some time on my lunch hours to play <laughs> so he, he might have been doing like you know three hour video game lunches because he works at home
1: <laughs> oh yeah that's so dangerous
0: it is so anyways he finished it he said five out of five loved it and um and it, it is it really is a good great game. You know, it's, it's really fun. It's got incredible voice acting, some of the best voice work I've ever heard in a video game. What I liked most about it was the environments you're put in. They're varied. Uh, there's a lot of variety to them, uh, which is two ways of saying the same thing. And (laughs) they're, they're just beautiful to look at, especially for a game of, you know, five years old. Uh, and, and, it's 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 fun it's fun gameplay you know there's a good balance between running and shooting and a lot of sneaking around and trying to avoid enemies and stay undetected um i to be honest i could have done with a little less of the sort of crafting and upgrading your skills elements to the game you're finding supplies all the time and then you use those supplies to upgrade your weapons and um your skills and and build things and craft things and stuff like that and to me, that got a little tiresome after a while. I just wanted to focus on the things about it that I really liked. Um, so that was one thing. And then this is going to probably be an unpopular opinion, but I have this thing where I'm really bad at following, <laughs> following the plot and storylines in games. I tend right. not to pay attention to it very much, and I just focus on sort of what's happening in the moment in the game. And I do have an idea of what this game was all about and where it was going. But for example, there's a bunch of collectible like notes and recordings in this game. You know how there's collectibles and games all the time these yep. days. Like, so I collect all these notes. I never read them. I don't bother to read them. I just pick it up, you know, look at my collectible stats and move on. So right. I think people, some are going to be a little bit offended by that because the story in this game is very important to some people, but It's just not the way I I play games, so I, you know, didn't really get into that as much. But other than that, I'm more into the exploring and and just sort of playing the moment in the game, and I really, really liked it. So thank you, everyone, for recommending it. Um, It was totally worth my time, and if, you know, Last of Us 2 comes out, maybe in five years after it comes out, I'll play that too. (laughs) How can there be the Last of Us 2? Just seems like a weird... Kind of thing. It does. It does a little bit, but I'm pretty sure they're working on it now, so. The last of the last of us. Right, right. So there you go. (laughs) Uh, All right. Did you see any other movies recently? Did you go see Dunkirk? I did see Dunkirk. Um, Really quick, what did you think of Dunkirk?
1: I thought it was great. I thought uh, the time... Uh, issues that it had, like the three timelines that were at different scales mm-hmm. uh, coming together, didn't confuse me or bother me at all. I thought it was a very brilliant, uh, beautiful movie. The uh, The only problem I had with it was that there was zero character development.
0: No character in the movie was any different than they were when they started. I didn't mind that at all because it was such a self-contained little film. Um, not little film, self-contained film. The time thing Uh, I didn't like at all. Found it extremely unnecessarily confusing. I found it hard to keep track of what was happening when and where. And even some of the characters, I'm like, wait, is that that guy or that guy? Because they're all so friggin' similar. (laughs) Well, they're all wearing uniforms. They're all wearing uniforms. You know, that's part of the point of having uniforms. I understand. (laughs) But it made it difficult for me to keep track of what was going on. You'd cut from daytime to nighttime. And I found that just hard to follow. I'm sure on a second, third viewing when I know going in to expect that kind of thing, then fine. I'll probably get more out of it. I still really liked the movie. I still thought it was a great film, but unnecessarily confusing. So
1: for that I re- reason, I really liked it and I didn't find it confusing.
0: Okay. Well, you're smarter than me, I guess I, I couldn't follow well, I'm just more times. accepting of uh, time dilation. Maybe, maybe, but could you like, did you always know where you were in the story and like what group of characters you were with? Yeah. See, I did not. And that was okay. the problem.
1: You know, it's, it's not, it's not hard. There's one group of characters that's in a plane. There's another one that's okay, on well, a boat. Fine. Another one that's sort
0: of uh, on a beach and sometimes on a beach in a boat. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. But, and, and, and I've got that now, but I, you know, on actual first time viewing is when I had trouble because Killian Murphy shows up in two of those Uh, storylines, right? And they cut from one to the other and like, he was there, but now he's here. And that's some of that stuff I had trouble with. Oh yeah, no, I had no, no issues with it. All right. Well, I'm like, Hey, look, that boat that we were with later though, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. I also didn't know that, um, and, and maybe this is probably more my fault than anything. I didn't know what the mole was. And I think that could have been explained a little better at the beginning. So that was a little bit confusing because,
1: uh, you know, where they. Once I realized that it was a place instead of a person, right? Uh, it was a little. It was more. Uh, you know, a little clearer and a little more you know, right. understanding broke in my brain and went, "Oh, okay, yeah." So that could have been a little clearer. Maybe you could have used a different word for it. Yes, instead of
0: the historically accurate one, uh, that might have helped. Well, I'm all for historically accurate, but just add one more sentence to that title that's on screen at the beginning, saying, "This is what this is." Yeah. I mean, that's, that's not too much to ask, I don't think. Um, it had, the movie sort of had the typical Christopher Nolan weird sound mix too. It did, but yeah. But it, but see, that didn't bother me. I, I kind of liked the way Christopher Nolan mixes movies. Oh, because no, this was, this, okay, this was better
1: than Interstellar, that's for sure. And I liked Tom Hardy speaking in a mask more than I did in, uh, as Bane. That really bothered me, uh, in the Batman movie. Uh, so yeah, I, there was parts of this that I I liked it better than usually. I like some of the crap that he does mm-hmm. audio wise. Uh, but you know, I like the fact Tom Hardy can act in a mask, no problem. Sure, and he likes. Have you ever see that uh, Tom Hardy movie where he sits in a car for the whole movie? Oh, I've heard. He's of just it. talking on the phone. Haven't it's really
0: good. That. You should watch it. Okay, I'll I'll check it out. Tom Hardy's not the problem though, and and in fact, I don't have a problem with. Christopher Nolan's sound mixing. I know a lot of people do. I do find it unusual. And there are times, admittedly, when I wish that some of his characters were a little bit easier to hear and understand. But then I think, you know what? Real life is sometimes loud and obnoxious and it gets in the way of hearing and understanding things. And Which is why we want to go to the movies where shit is clear. Well, yes, I can understand that. But if I was in a spaceship and shit was going down and it was exploding and it was on fire or whatever was happening in interstellar I don't think I'd be able to hear the person talking next to me and that's what that was and again in dunkirk when there are bombs going off and planes flying around and ships exploding and everyone yelling and giant crowds of 400,000 people I don't know you if you'd be able to hear everything that was going on clearly and it just feels like it's realistic okay so there's a difference between
1: Going to a real life baseball and movies? game Wait, where what? it, what's that? There's a what? difference between real life and movies. Come on, <laughs> because there's a difference between going to a baseball game and getting caught up in the crowd where everybody's yelling and it's exciting. Say it's a, I don't know why. I- baseball, maybe football, let's go with football, where everything's excited and it's a close game and everybody's loud and, and uh, excited, <laughs> Trying to there's say a methods. difference between experiencing that yep. and then having somebody tell you about it and yelling at the top of their lungs and screaming mm-hmm. like they're excited for uh, a close football game, you know, 14 hours later sitting in your living room. I mean, sure, it's more real life because that's the tone of and volume that he was using at the game. But if you're telling me the story about a football game, you don't need to yell and scream, my friend. Yeah, good point. And what were you saying about uh, oh, the oh, yeah, baseball not being <laughs> exciting?
0: I think you were about to say baseball's not exciting, so that would never happen. <laughs> but I'd way I've rather been to watch a baseball me. game. Damn killed me. I'd way rather watch baseball than football. I'm just that kind of person. Uh anyways. Um, yeah. Something about Christopher Nolan's sound mixing doesn't bother me as much as other people. Uh, Plus, I can always turn on subtitles if I'm watching it at home. Oh, Interstellar was hard to listen to
1: at the theater. I thought I, I thought the theater was had fucked up their sound system. Well, it really did.
0: Interstellar. I mean, Bane was weird, yes, but I never found Bane difficult to understand because his I didn't find his vocals it was
1: so much louder than everybody else. Well,
0: it's like, usually uh, his, his dialogue is buried though. And like, like. even it out, my friend.
1: Interesting. This yeah. is with the whole point. You just, you know, you have the, the audio engineer has a whole bunch of rails that he can even out the sound. That's his whole fucking job. <laughs> I know. Until Christopher
0: right? Nolan gets there and he's like, oh no, here comes No, Nolan. no.
1: Crank that one all the way up. It's like, uh. Oh, yeah. That You're goes against everything I
0: uh, have been taught to do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can, yeah. Okay, fine. You're paying the bills. Do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I uh, Interstellar was probably worse, but Interstellar was also the first, for me anyways, the first time I really noticed this with Christopher Nolan's movies. Because I think he needed to get to a certain level of cachet in the director's community before he could start doing these weirdo things. Right. Cause he didn't do this in Memento, but Memento is a pretty different kind of movie too.
1: It is. I mean, Lucas is the same thing, right? I mean, the Lucas had, uh, uh, you know, he was pretty good until he got to the point where he was in charge of everything. And then it just really went off the rails.
0: Yeah. He, he became garbage. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, so Christopher Nolan has not become garbage though. Maybe no, he, will. he hasn't become
1: garbage. I, I was just thinking about the fact that uh, uh Lucas didn't uh, direct uh Empire Strikes Back.
0: No, that's true. But, or Jedi.
1: Or Jedi, and nobody really knows that because uh he Paid a fine. I know that uh, movies have to have opening credits and the credits have to be in uh, a certain sequence and that uh, the opening titles and the uh, the actors actually in their contracts uh, talk about their names as a percentage of the size of the title of the film. And that's like, this. there's a whole thing about opening titles and about the director being there. But Star Wars, he, Lucas didn't want that. He wanted just friggin' let's get the, the crawl going, and then the Star Wars, and then we're into the action. There's no fucking opening titles. Uh, and uh, when he released that, there was a big kerfuffle, and he actually paid a fine because he did that to the whatever unions or whatever. What? But And it actually makes a point because you nobody knows who directed fucking Empire Strikes Back. Kirchner, I think his name was. Irvin called. Kirchner, yeah. Yeah, I know that. You know that. But, you know, generally speaking- <laughs> Everyone like, thinks George Lucas did it, yeah. Yeah, Drew Lucas did it. But he didn't, and he shouldn't, because we all know what happens when Lucas is in charge of absolutely everything. He's given free
0: reign to do whatever he wants. Is that a is that an old rule, though? I mean, there's movies all the time now that don't have opening titles. They just start.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's better
0: now, but uh, I'm not sure that that's true. What movie are you thinking of? I don't know. There's all kinds of movies that don't have- actors' names at the beginning, or or even the title of the movie at the beginning. It's it's title be. of the movie? Yeah. Anyway. I mean, TV I shows always have actors' names at the beginning.
1: Yeah. I mean, Lost, I mean, for crying out loud, Lost came on, and for the first half of the show, you'd be getting the credits. Yeah, that's right. There's under 20, the plot. twenty people <laughs> like, fuck, involved. come on. It's 20,
0: <laughs> 25 after eight. You can stop with the actors' <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we can't. There's still 14 more to go. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, all right. I wanted to talk about Ozark a little bit, but maybe we could do that another time. That's a good uh, show too. That was a good show. That was. Did you watch all of it? Yeah. I've seen the whole thing.
1: Yeah. Uh, Jason
0: Bateman is a genius as far as I'm concerned. It, uh, okay. Jason Bateman was great. Uh, Laura Linney, his wife. Laura Linney. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, the, Uh, The other other actors in the movie, I mean, in the show too, in the show, yeah, we're all, we're all really good and just a great sort of fun and unbelievable like premise and plot too. So, uh, really, really, really good show.
1: Are we going to talk about spoilers?
0: Because there's something I don't understand about that show. Okay. What do you not understand about Ozark? Spoilers for Ozark coming up, everybody.
1: Okay. So, uh, Jason Bateman takes his family to this small town with like, what, $8 million? five million dollars um,
0: so he's a money launderer for drug cartels yeah or a for the second largest drug cartel the funniest the funniest line in the in the whole 10 episodes was when he introduces the guy as the second largest and the guy <laughs> says something like man you, you're so you're always with the second largest aren't aren't you right <laughs> that was funny anyways yeah he, he launders money for them and he um is sent to the ozarks with it was eight million or eight whatever million. no, it was eight so million. Yeah. a bunch of bunch of money that he needed to launder for the
1: drug cartel in order to prove his loyalty or whatever right
0: uh <laughs> he
1: gets there and he runs up against a heroin grower essentially yes. and distributor and there's all this back and forth and the only thing i don't understand is why didn't he just tell the drug cartel this guy's fucking with your shit like he's I'm trying to launder money and this guy's fucking uh, with me and therefore screwing with your bottom line. And the drug cartel comes down with a bunch of AK-47s and just blows them all
0: to hell. Why didn't he do that? I don't know. Maybe it was too public. Maybe it was too much of a show of force or something like that. Uh,
1: Maybe he was too afraid that he'd rock in the boat of some kind, but all you have to do is say, you know, there's this guy screwing with your bottom line here.
0: Uh, he was like he, throughout the show, though, he was always worried uh, about hurting other people, too. Right. Like he genuinely didn't want um, that preacher guy and his family to be hurt. And yeah. he tried to go out of his way to protect them. He genuinely didn't want the woman who owned the the resort, the blue cat resort to be hurt. You know, so he's he's a good He's a complex character in that he doesn't want to hurt these people, yet he's still a money launderer working for drug cartels and not afraid to do some bad things, right? So go to the guy and say, I'm a money launderer for a drug cartel,
1: a major drug cartel. You're screwing with their bottom line. You got to stop it because if you don't, I got to tell him. And you know what happens
0: when I tell the drug cartel that you're screwing with their bottom line? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't think he could go to the heroin people and, and do that because then, I mean, he'd be killed. He, or, and It didn't, somebody would well, be I killed. guess the problem I have is they didn't explain to me
1: to a satisfactory level why he wouldn't like just tell the cartel or deal with it by saying, you know, obviously I'm doing this for a drug cartel. Don't fuck with their shit
0: Yeah, or they're going to kill you. I just think it was that he was worried about causing too much bloodshed. Like if he brought in the full force of the cartel, like half the town might be wiped off the map, right? And yeah. I don't think he wanted to do that. He was trying to find a way to launder the money as peacefully as possible, get it all through and not get out of the life, but at least get through this stage of his criminal activity yeah, uh, successfully. So. Um, the only
1: And the other problem I had with the show is that uh, if you do something that is uh, basically in your job, if you perform a miracle, that miracle becomes part of your job description. Yep. So
0: be wary of being, you know, of over-delivering. It's a tough position to be in, though, because if he doesn't deliver, he's dead. And if he does yes. deliver, it's a miracle. Well, he overpromised. Is the problem? Yes, right? he did. Like he was
1: in a bind. He was, he, you know, he overpromised, uh, you know, underpromise, overdeliver, uh, but he overpromised. And he's like, oh shit! I mean, I get into that trouble all the time, right? Not with you know drug cartels or <laughs> money laundering, but you know, it's like, yeah, I can do that. that that's uh, that seems like a very reasonable timeline. Uh-huh. It's like, oh no, we're gonna have to add a year to the project. <laughs> <laughs> I know I only said six weeks, but we're going to have to, to add a year. Just safe. Right. Yeah. Just, just one more year and everything will be fine. Right. Yeah. We, it's now been half a year past that, uh, time we added a whole year and starting to get worrisome again. You gotta, anyway. You gotta be careful with that, that stuff, I guess. <laughs> it's not my fault. It's not my fault.
0: No. It's Jason Bateman's fault. <laughs> Always Jason Bateman. Anyways, he was really good. He's fun. It made us go back and watch some episodes of, uh. Arrested Development. Yeah. I go back and... He's great. Pick one at random and watch it. Yeah, yeah. He's so great games. in that. We went and watched the first couple episodes of season one, just to start at the beginning. And that's the ones where he's visiting his dad in jail and his dad keeps saying, there's money in the banana stand. <laughs> and the way that plays out is yeah, so funny. There's always money in the banana stand. And so classic. Exactly. <laughs> so. The, the thing I liked most about Arrested
1: Development is that for me, every episode seemed like a recap of what actually happened.
0: Yeah, that's sort of right. what the premise of the show was. It's just, it's
1: not the actual plot. It's just, it's its the highlight reel of the plot. Right. And, and uh, Ron Howard narrating, because that's just genius. There's one, I forget what episode it's in, where somebody says uh, Arrested Development, and he goes, hey, that's the name of the show.
0: Right. It's good. It's really <laughs> funny stuff. And Will Arnett is super funny. And uh, Cross, David Cross, is that his name? Yeah, yeah. So funny. Like, him... Oh. And just <laughs> everybody, George, master. George Michael is in love with his cousin and she's doing the school play so she can kiss Steve Holt, the, the jock guy, Steve Holt, Steve Holt, <laughs> and then so Michael Sarah joins so that he can be the understudy to Steve and he'll get to kiss his cousin. <laughs> <laughs> and then of course she quits and he quits and she's back in and he's back in. It sounds so ridiculous, but it's so funny. <laughs> such a good show. Very good show. All right. I got to call it. Thanks for listening, everyone.
1: Yeah, thanks. Have a good night, y'all.